listening and saying, what do you want me to preach on? And uh, God said, why don't you share your story with your church family? So this morning, you're going to hear the testimony of myself and um, where God's brought me and what God's done in my life. And um, yes, it's, I've had some cool times and I've had some not so cool times. And through my life, there's been three main events, which I'm going to share with you as we go through it, um, of what God's done and how he has um, built me. And as Dave preached about a couple of weeks ago, stretched me um, so I can begin to hopefully make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Um, so talking about myself, for one, doesn't come easy. I'm not a person that uh, likes to share my troubles with too many people. I don't like to whinge too much and say, how bad is my life? Because in comparison to what Jesus did on the cross when he died for me, my whinging is nothing. However, there is a time and a place to share your story, to encourage your family, and I'm sure that there are people here, and I, I'm convinced there's people here that need to hear what God has done in my life. So God undoubtedly, through his grace and faithfulness, um, has created a, a pretty cool story so far in my life. I'm always reminded of the passage that hopefully will come up in a minute of Ephesians 2 when I start to preach uh, any sermon. It said, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you, can't, uh, sorry, and you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. So anytime we come up and we get an opportunity, and it's, a, it's an absolute joy and a privilege to stand up here at any time and preach God's word or talk about God and encourage you guys. It's through the grace of God that we're here not through how good Joel is. So I grew up in, in Border Town in the southeast, along with a, a few other people here, actually. And uh, what a great place it was to grow up. To grow up in the country during those times, in the country area, you know, nearly 40 years ago, was an amazing place to live. You know, we could just walk. We rode to school when we were five years old. Like straight across the Narracourt Road, it was a busy road. My little sister, when she was five, on her little bike, it was get on with your boys and go to school. Mum didn't take her and hold her hand. She's, get on the bike and off you go. So we had to go through the Tatiara Creek, which had a swing in it that we used to swing across on the way home from school and get covered in mud when we got home. But Border Town and the country was just an awesome place to grow up. You learnt to work <laughs> in the country. You had no choice. You had to go to work. Was, there was farmers and farmers' kids. There was just always something to do. We were never sitting around bored looking for something to do. So it was a great place. We grew up in a Christian family, attending the Bordertown Church of Christ for basically all of my time that I was in Bordertown. And it was a great church family, and I'm extremely thankful to my parents for bringing me up in a Christian family. If you're a parent, and, uh, and you know, obviously you're here, so you're probably bringing them up in a Christian family, but I am so grateful and blessed to be brought up in a Christian home. The foundation that mum and dad began in me from when I was a, an infant is held me in great stead for the troubles and the times that, that are coming later in my life. So although mum and dad just did it because that's what they were doing and, and we do it because we come to church and there is great worth in sharing the gospel and those stories of how Jesus loves the kids likes what, like what is happening right now in Sunday school. I'm just so thankful for what um, my mum and dad did for me. We had Sunday school picnics and, you know, an aeroplane used to come over and drop lollies. It was just the coolest time. 
used to swing out of a tree until a girl fell out of the tree and missed the rope and broke her arm, so we had to, I don't even think we stopped it then, actually, we would now. <laughs> we just kept it going, dragged her off to hospital. So many fun times. Our family was heavily involved in sport, so I grew up playing sport, sport, sport. It was church, school, and sport, so we played football, we played uh, tennis, Basketball, three not two, three nights a week. Although if you watched me the other day here, you would have thought he's never played basketball before. <laughs> Motocross riding, we did lots of things. And then the final thing I sort of went on to as a man or a young teenager is what you would normally do is I took up horse riding. <laughs> so as a 13-year-old, <laughs> I pulled on the jodhpurs. I had, a, I had a, a photo and I couldn't find it. Praise the Lord, I couldn't find it. <laughs> of me learning to ride horses with a motorbike helmet on, <laughs> because that's all we had. But like what, when we took up a sport or we did something, Dad said, I don't care what you do, but do it properly. So we learnt to do it properly, and I was able to ride in the Adelaide show numerous times and ride all around Australia on these little horses, um, and it was, it was a pretty cool thing. Um, broke my collarbone on a horse, never did that on a motorbike. Um, so horses are, are a good thing, other than the work and money that's involved in keeping them, um, which I didn't worry about then, but when Mayor asks for one now, I say no. <laughs> Stick to the motorbike, Mayor. Only feed that every now and then. So it was a great time. You know, school was wonderful. The, the primary school and the high school was a great place to live. The primary school was the biggest primary school in the state at that time, 800 kids would go to Bordertown Primary School, way down, you know, in the southeast. Who would think there'd be that many children at a school? The high school was one of the best high schools around with outdoor ed courses and, and phys ed courses. So we we're extremely blessed to, to grow up in a rich farming community um, where tough times didn't happen that often down there and still don't really happen that often. As I grew up, I, I became a teenager, obviously, and uh, as a teenager, I, uh, I attended youth group, so that was one of the great things I got to do when I was 13, 14, was attend youth group and hang out with my mates um, at church and at youth. Again, school was great, footy continued to be pretty good um, for me. And I remember we used to go to Hall's Gap, who's been to Hall's Gap in the Grampians? Just an amazing place, isn't it? One of God's awesome creations that he's given us to enjoy. So I was 14 years old and I was on a Hall's Gap camp and uh, a guy was speaking. I can't even remember who the guy was that was speaking, so that was, that's probably a good thing. But I remember that my heart was challenged like never before when I was 14 years old in the Grampians and uh, that's the time I gave my life to Jesus, come out of the shadow of my parents and, uh, and, and realize that I need to make this decision to follow Jesus. He prompted my heart. And I accepted, and what a, what a great moment that was in my life, to be able to stand upon some of those mountains, look over what Jesus or God had created for us, and know that my Saviour died on a cross for my sins. It was one of the greatest uh, moments of my life, and I'll never forget it. I came back playing senior Colts football, and things were different for me. The swearing in the change rooms sort of offended me a little bit all of a sudden. Whereas before, I couldn't, didn't worry me too much. It was just what they did. So little things like that, I knew my life had changed. So it wasn't like I came back the same person. Jesus had done a work in my heart. And it was, it was a, an amazing time. 
A couple of years after that, I was late 16s. So if you put your hand up if you're 16, a couple of the lads up the back are 16. Um, some awesome young lads that we, we get to minister to. But I got the opportunity to play A-grade football for Bordertown when I was 16, nearly 17, and then into senior football. So I missed my last two years of junior football because um, I was playing A-grade football. With that, who's played football here? Okay, so when you're a 16-year-old and you finish a game of football and you go into the change rooms, when I played football, things, my mind was just blown to bits. All right, I was a Christian. I walked in there. The things those guys were talking about and the things those guys were doing, I had never really heard of before. So I'd play football with them, and I'm telling you now, a 16-year-old plays A-grade now, they sort of get looked after. All right, 16-year-old playing back then, they were still trying to kill you. All right, so we were getting smashed from pillar to post as young kids. We'd get into the change rooms. The guys, we'd sing our song of We Won. They'd chuck your beer if you wanted one. And, you know, then they would start talking. You know, who they're going to be sleeping with tonight and what they're going to be trying to do. And I'm a 16-year-old Christian lad sitting there listening to that. And that, for two years, I played football and I tell a story, you've probably heard this story about we adopted a lamb and uh, the lamb hung out with our dogs, long and short of it. After three months, that silly little lamb thought it was a dog because it hung out with our dogs and, and knew no different. And my, I always say to, I say to the youth kids quite often, if you hang out with dogs, then you're going to become one. So two years of hanging out with these blokes who really weren't doing that much wrong. In their eyes, they were doing nothing wrong. That's just how the world lives. All right, but and football change rooms may have changed a little bit, but that's talk still happens, all that stuff still goes on. But what happened by the time I was 18 or 19, I was one of the dogs. So, what they were talking about, Joel was doing. All right, so a guy that when he was 14 had given his life to the Lord at 18 or 19 years old was no different to those guys in the footy change rooms. So I'll just say to the guys up the back, choose who you hang out with very, very wisely because it's going to make a huge difference in your life. Believe me, it does. You can go into a pub thinking you're the strongest Christian on earth, but once, you know, maybe Satan whispers in your ear and he's got an opportunity to get his claws into you where the environment like this, it isn't anything like this, things begin to spiral downhill. There's a passage from Matthew 6.24 where Jesus is, is talking about storing up treasures and it talk, he's talking about money, but there's a part in it that says no one can serve two masters for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. For me, it wasn't money. For me, it was just hanging out with the lads, trying to fit into a crowd and um, doing many and much of the wrong things. But there was one thing that's different for me. Every time I got drunk on a Saturday night, I woke up Sunday morning and I went to church. And you would think, why on earth would a guy who's deliberately sinning, you know, sleeping around, drinking, doing all that stuff, why would he get up and go to church? That's a question I'll ask God one day because I have no idea why I did that. One, I had respect for my mum and dad. So I wanted to go there for them, but for two, to keep mum off the scent of actually what I was doing. 
But God's hand was still upon my life, I believe, even during those times. He called me at 14 years old and he hadn't let go of me even though I was living a life that wasn't necessarily bringing glory to him. I still had a chance to hear the gospel preached on a Sunday morning, sucking back on bottles of water. I still had time and I was sitting there as people worshipped. I was watching. God hadn't finished with me, but it was time for me to wake up. So the time for me to wake up was August 2000. And I was uh, driving to Adelaide in the man, I've told this story as well, in the man's greatest car, a Holden Barina. <laughs> so I was heading up to Adelaide, probably to get on the, the grog with some mates up there. I don't really know, I can't remember why I was going to Adelaide, but I was. And I was coming up the hill, the big hill just out of Murray Bridge on the freeway. And I must have been texting on my phone. I was doing something that I shouldn't have been. I wasn't watching the road. And you know, if you come up that hill, the trucks are going pretty slow. They'll just merge out in front of you, and you've got to go round them, because that's just what they do. So at 110 k's an hour, the old Barina was wound right up, because 110 was pretty much flat stick for that thing. And up a hill, it was even worse, for she was revving. So I was flying up the hill at 100, texting on my phone. I look up, and from where I am to Dave Shepherd, there's a semi-trailer. All I can remember was, bang. That's all I got time to do, was put my foot on the brake. And uh, Bailey's got a couple of photos of the little Barina. So that's what a little Barina will look like after it's hit a truck. That's where the tray stopped. So what had happened, I hit the back of the truck. The tray of the truck peeled my bonnet off like a tin can. And the tray of the truck stopped at my front window. So literally there. I was sitting in the car thinking, what has just happened? And I was over on the side of the road. The truckie came down and he pulled my window open, which you can see on the driver's window. And he said, are you all right, mate? And uh, I was sitting there and I said, I, I'm fine. There's not a thing wrong with me. The only thing that was wrong with me was I punched my hand through the front window when my golf sticks were on the back seat. When I hit the truck, the golf stick spun around. My one wood flew out of the golf bag, hit me in the elbow and punched my hand through the front window, so all I had was a couple of cuts on there. I went to the hospital, and they all said, look, you're going to be very, very, very sore um, tomorrow because of what's happened, you know. I was fine. Not one dent, not one mark on me, not a bruise. Dad come to pick me up that night. Dad threw me the keys to his car and said, get in, son, you're driving. He said, there's no way you're going to go through that and, not, uh, and be afraid of driving a car. So dad chucked me straight back in the car. I drove home to Bordertown. So two and a half hours or two hours in the car again. And I just praised God. Oh, well, yeah, I should be dead. You know, most people that have car accidents say they, they should be dead, and it's very true. Um, but my life, what I realized from that point, um, God shook me. And he said, wake up, Joel. It's time to follow me. And I woke up basically just like that. What I, what I had done when I was 14 years old was just like it had been refreshed. The Spirit came upon me, and it was one of the greatest moments of my life, especially when they said, do you, you know, your car's been written off. Do you want a new Barina? 
<laughs> or do you want some money to buy a Commodore? And I said, give me the Commodore. <laughs> Praise God for Barinas. John 12, 25 and 26, it says, Anyone who loves their life will lose it. Anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves must follow me. And where I am, my servant will also be. My Father will honour the one who serves me. It was time for me to serve the Lord. So 20 years old, went back to Bordertown, basically told the football club that I'm a, I'm a Christian and that I don't want to talk and live like I used to because how do you do that? How do you go back to 18 grown men who just go out to war, we called it, because it nearly was at times, and how do you come back there a changed person? You know, I've thought about I might, I might leave because I don't have to tell them I'm a Christian. But I had to come and say, look, I'm a Christian. I'm not doing that stuff anymore. I, I want to be part of this team Look, I, know, I don't want you to change who you are if you don't want to change. You know, the way you talk, that's fine. But I'm not doing that stuff anymore. And my life from that point on was changed forever. I became a school chaplain at the Keith Area School. Uh, some, some of the greatest times of my life was the three years that I was a school chaplain. Such great fun to hang out with, with kids and youth and to be able to share the hope that, that is in relationship with Jesus with those kids. I was so blessed and I grew so much um, when I did that. I became a youth leader at Bordertown Church of Christ, eventually became the guy that ran the youth at Bordertown. And we went on many youth camps, Charlton, heaps of people from here came on these youth camps. You know, we took kids to the Grampians, to the exact place where I gave my life to the Lord and I saw kids doing the same thing. It was just an amazing time in my life. I attended state youth games. What a great fun event that was. I even saw this really, really cute blonde-haired girl there once. I was, I was, she was in her last year, all right? She was in her last year of being a, a camper, and I was, I was a leader. <laughs> so I went up to her, and I said, you know, as, as most wheezies do, have you got a boyfriend? And she turned to me and said, no, boys are trouble. And I said, you're dead right. <laughs> anyway, things, things blossomed. And uh, that's where I met my beautiful wife, Carmel, who uh, isn't here this morning because at the end of my testimony, Carmel is, doesn't want to sit and hear just yet. So um, she's not here, but she's at home with the kids. So pray for her. She's uh, a beautiful lady. I'm... Uh, I, yeah, I don't really deserve it. People say, you're batting above your average. Well, I am batting above my average, let me tell you. So praise God. So that was around 2004, five era. So four or five years after um, that, I used to go on camps with Lee Cunningham, um, a kid from youth. His dad was my leader. I saw him yesterday. It's just crazy how God works, and uh, we get the opportunity to bless and share with young people now. 2007 and 8, we got married. What a great fun event and time that was in my life. We become youth leaders of the Murray Bridge Church of Christ. So Carmel and I took on, left McGill Church of Christ where we were at that time. We said, right, oh, we'll do the youth ministry at Murray Bridge. We were living in the hills, so we drove down there and did that, um, which was just 
an absolute blast. We just had the greatest time. Um, saw Beck and uh, heaps of Beck and Jess. Gee, we nearly forgot Jess. Jess, um, who came in year eight, saw her right through year 12, watched her grow and learn in the Lord. Just an amazing time. Um, so we really loved our time there. I bought a business in Mount Barker. So I was running my own business, but in 2007, I bought a business um, which was just a really cool thing. You know, I was 27 years old and uh, I was running a business, had people working for me. And um, yeah, it was just something that I was really excited about and passionate about and was really blessed that God um, allowed that to happen. 2009, things were going amazing. Praise God. You know, it was one of the greatest years. Youth was amazing. Kids were coming to know Jesus. Max was born, our little son, in 2009. We bought our first home and lived in Murray Bridge for five years, and the business was growing and booming. My life was great. I thought, you know, this is how it's meant to be. I'll, be, I'll have a house by the time I'm 40, paid off, had all these ambitions in life of things I wanted to do, um, and, and things were going really good. In 2010, our business had grown, <coughs> so we decided the shed we were in was too small for where we were at that time. So we said, look, we're going to move out of where we are, and we're going to go to a different area of Mount Barker, and, um, and try and expand it and become this big Donald Trump. So we did that, um, and as I did that, the guy that I bought Mount Barker business from um, came and said that I'm going to open up again in opposition to you. So I thought, oh, well, you know, well, I wasn't very happy about it. But what made it even worse was the day I moved out of where I was, he moved back in and put his sign up, and started trading. And you might think, poor Joel. I asked the question of what, to God, what is going on? Because within about four months, I had two people left from me. My house was on the market. I sold all my cars because the business I had continued to go to where he was. I was wondering, I was getting angry thinking, what is going on? Why is this happening to me? We were helping so much in the church. You know, I was a youth leader. I was an elder at that stage. I was doing all this work for you, God. We were paying for kids to go to camp. We were, we were buying, paying for buses to take them there because of the business and what it was doing. Why is this happening? Why have I got no money? Why am I selling my house and everything I've got? Because of what someone else has done. It isn't fair. And I got to a point where I was at a youth meeting with our pastor in Murray Bridge, and uh, I was emotional um, as the youth leader, and he said, what's going on? So I told him. And he prayed for me, and he was a great Maori guy, um, full of the Spirit, and just said, Joel, where is your heart at? He said, where is your heart at? He said, if we're doing things for the right, if we're doing the right things for the wrong reasons, things get hard. If we're doing the right things for the right reasons, we get blessed. That was something that hit really hard for me. 
And it's the question that I'd, you know, I'd ask you guys. Where is our heart at? You know, we put money to the church. We come here and we set up every morning. We do this, we do that. We do stuff for the school. Is that what God wants? Jesus died on the cross for my heart and my soul, not for my money and my time. And that's what hit to me. God was saying, Joel, yes, you're doing great things, but where is your heart? And for me, through that time, I reset my mind and my heart and focused on God. Yes, the business didn't fold. All right, we went back to a little poxy shed where no one knew where we were. I was humbled as a person. I was on my knees and I was humbled. And slowly I had one little van that I went around in and God began to build it again, you know. We never ran out of money. In the end, I didn't have to sell my house. But as a man, (laughs) standing there in front of this beautiful girl that married you, you start to question what is going on. I'm meant to be running this show and it's all falling in a heap. Well, God's meant to be running this show. So we built it back up. I quickly realized I'm not going to be retired at 40 and own my own house because that's in March and that ain't happening. (laughs) But it didn't worry me anymore. I got to a point where I could forgive old mate for doing what he did. And that was a really, really, really hard thing to do. He needed to support his family, you know. He could have done it in a different way, but he needed to support his wife and kids. And that's the best way he thought of doing it. In 2016, we got some of the hardest news that we probably ever had. And that was my brother and my brother's wife had breast cancer. So for three years, it was not too bad. Um, She had chemo and had all that, had one of her breasts removed, and we thought that was the end of it. And in May of this year, things became really difficult. So for me, it was the start of one of the hardest journeys that I've been on. In May, my brother rang me and said that you should come to Wodonga because uh, Ash is not very well. So we loaded up the family, <clears throat> Nick and another one of my good mates said, we'll be fine at the shop, um, you need to go. So we loaded up the car and we went over there and uh, it was just one of the, some of the greatest times that I, I will never forget and I thank God for that, um, that we got to hang out with my brother and his kids, Asher was extremely ill. So she was in hospital the whole time we were there, so we got to go and speak to her and hang out with her, but she, over a two-week period, progressively got very, very sick, Um, to the point where Travis, yeah, he said, you better come in um, and say goodbye to Asher, because things are, um, are looking really bad. So we did that on a Tuesday night, and, uh, and then on a Wednesday night, um, one of the most amazing things, and God revealing himself to my brother and my family, and people can say that 
God doesn't exist and God doesn't care about me. I didn't need proof from God that he existed and that he loves us and he's full of grace and mercy. But on a Wednesday night in that hospital, he did that anyway. All right, so Travis was sitting there at about midnight and uh, Asher sat up and said to Travis that there's two of them coming and they're coming to get me. <sighs> And Travis said to, said to Asher, well, what are you going to do? And she said that I told him to go away. <laughs> she said, oh, I'm not ready to go yet. And God, he's rich in mercy. He said to her, then you can stay. And you can stay <clears throat> until Mother's Day. So that was the Sunday. We took Travis's kids in to see their mum and um, to see her extremely sick. Monday morning, um, five o'clock in the morning, Asher's dad rang me and said that Asher had passed away. Um, can you come and get Travis? So I drove to the hospital to pick up my brother, who just lost his wife, and um, I didn't know what to say. And he, I, he got in the car and I just said to him, I'm sorry. I took him home to his kids and we sat out the front for half an hour because he, he wouldn't get out the car. I tried and tried and tried to get him out the car, but he just would not get out. And I said, mate, we've got to go in there. And he said, can you tell the kids what's happened? And I said, yeah, I'll do that. So I walked in and had the privilege and honour of telling my my brother's boys, that their mum had passed away and gone to be with Jesus. Some of the hardest things I've ever done happened in that week. A week that I helped my brother organise his wife's funeral with some great friends, who some of them are here, who helped out. But whilst I was there in Wodonga, I also had an eye on our business that was going on. My business bank account was going down. I knew from the phone calls I was having that things were quiet. So we got back from Wodonga after, my, after Asher had passed away and I went in and I knew that my business wasn't going that well at that time. I had two great amazing men looking after it. Um, yet nothing to do with what they were doing it just wasn't going that well. So during this time, people asked me at church when I came back that you look tired and worn out. Well, this is why. I got back and I sat down with the boys and said, what's going on? And then I had to get rid of one of my best mates who was working for me. A guy that had just sat there for two weeks while I was over with my brother and family. I had to say to him, mate, it's time to go. I can't keep people, keep everyone on. And he is just a gracious, he's not a Christian, he's been here a few times. God's working in his heart. And he said, that's fine, mate. And he went and found another job. As he did that, there was a Saturday night. I was in the shower and Carmel came in and said, Nick's on the phone. And I was like, what, what does he want? <laughs> 
And he said, Nick doesn't normally ring me on a Saturday night either. And Carmel said, get out the shower. So I got out the shower. So after just sacking one of my best mates, Nick said to me on the phone, I've just broken my leg playing football. And I thought, man, this is not good. God, what are you doing? You know, I need help. And I'm not a person to cry out for help. I'm not a person to come to you here and stand up the front and say, pray for me because I'm not doing so well. I'm, I just, I don't know, I just tough it out. Stupid man syndrome. <laughs> but it wasn't easy. And this is, I'm only talking, this is the start of May, uh, start of August this year. Five weeks ago this happened. So we're dealing with all of what's going on. Our kids aren't dealing with Aunty Asher dying that well at this point. The business is going, getting low on money. I've just sacked my mate. Nick's just broken his leg. So do I get my mate back or what on earth do I do? So I remember one, I might just get the band to come up actually. I remember one morning in the workshop, because we own a mechanical repair shop, that's what we do, and I remember sitting there staring at the computer screen, I don't even know what was on there, but just thinking to myself, I knew in my heart that basically I was stuffed if I didn't, something didn't happen, and didn't happen very quickly, as far as the business went. And I felt that my life as a bloke was unraveling, and again, I was, I'd let my mates down, and I'd let my family down because a Carmel will go home and tell Carmel what, you know, I'd, we've got no money in a time where she's grieving. So I felt like I was losing control. And this is at quarter past seven in the morning. I remember sitting there and I looked up on my phone a daily devotion that I haven't opened for about four months. And this is another moment where you don't need God to reveal himself to you, yet he still chooses to do that because of his great love for us. No word of a lie, this is the passage that came up on my phone that morning. James, it was the message version, James 4, 7 to 10. Let, so let God work his will in you. Yell aloud, no to the devil and watch him scamper. Say a quiet yes to God and he will be there in no time. Quick dabbling in sin and purify your inner life. Quick playing the field, hit rock bottom and cry out. The fun and games are over. Get serious, get really serious. Get down on your knees before the master. It's the only way you're going to get back on your feet. So there I was at 7.30 in the morning in my workshop on the greasy, grubby floor on my knees praying to God. I was thanking you for his grace and mercy. Thanking him for Jesus, my Lord and Savior, for being a great God and in control of all things confessing that I can't do it without you, Lord. My life, my business, and my family are yours. 
and I felt the Holy Spirit come upon me like never before, literally come down and remove a weight from my shoulders. God was saying, I had you when you were a teenager. I had you when you crashed the car. I had you when you thought your business was gone. And I've got you now. I stood up and literally a weight was lifted from my shoulders. We just finished business in August with the busiest month we've had in six years. Nick is back at work and our family is taking giant steps to continue to grieve and remember, remember Asher. I don't know for you guys, I honestly believe that there's some people or someone in here that's either having a wake up and follow me moment or a where is your heart at moment or get on your knees because I'm in control moment. I'd encourage you this morning, if that is you, I'm going to come down the front somewhere and hopefully some other people come down. Do something about it. Come down the front. I want to pray for you. Because especially if you're a bloke, we're as stubborn as. Why wait for it to you know, get to a point where you, you feel like you're absolutely stuffed? There's no more you can give. When Jesus says, come to me now. Come to me now and I will heal those hurts you've got. I will forgive you for those things that you've done wrong. Kneel before me and worship me. Do something. Don't just sit there and say that I'm going to go away. We'll do it next week when day. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.